Well, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Overtime. This is our weekly podcast where we get to kind of dissect the weekend services, get to go over any content that maybe didn't quite make it, answer any questions that you, our congregation, has, um, and just kind of talk about it in general. So pretty glad and excited that you're with us today. If you're joining us either on Facebook Live or or today we're starting on YouTube Live. The YouTube. We're everywhere. We're starting on the YouTube Live. And then also if you're listening to this via podcast, if it's not live, uh, thanks for joining us. We're super glad that you're with us. But you sure are missing some pretty faces. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so we're glad that you're with us. We do want to highlight, as usual, what we do is we try and highlight one or two things that are coming up within the life of the church. This week is just kind of, once again, a reminder to let you know that we have COW, which stands for Connect on Wednesdays. It's kind of our midweek offering where we've got a bunch of different classes that are going to be happening. Uh, as usual, we have Celebrate Recovery that happens. We've got a, a couple different ones. One's a financial peace uh, class that's starting this week. There was an intro for it a couple weeks ago, but it officially starts this week. There is uh, not this week, but next week, a testimonies class will be starting. Uh, I already said celebrate recovery. There's five total different classes. Gospel centered parenting. So I'm not doing a great job of, of recalling those right now, but there's a lot of different offerings. We'd love for you to join us if you're interested in that. At 5:30, we have a meal. It's kind of a suggested donation of about five dollars. Carnitas. This carnitas week. this yeah. week. Yeah, pork carnitas. See? So come on out for that. And then at about 6:15 is when the classes start. They go till about 7:30, 7:30. Or, or around there. So we'd love to see you there. It's kind of one of the, the next steps if you're looking to get connected, to get plugged in. That's why we call it Connect on Wednesday that's because right. that's what we're looking to do. Um, and we'd love to have you there, see you there. Uh, it'd be an awesome time. So It's an easy meal. It's good for you. And you're going, I'm not sure I'm ready for a class. Completely understand that. Yeah. We also have, out kind of in the lobby area, there's a group of people, we call it Engage. Just a nice, simple way to get right. to know some folks. And uh, So if you just want to come say hello, uh, welcome out. to do that. Yeah. No, no pressure at all just want us to figure out a way to be more than just a bunch of folks who show up in rows on the weekend and get to know each other and yeah. be a family so so do that. would hope hope that you'd be interested in that love to see you there if you have any questions for us please contact the office would be happy to answer any questions that you have for it or check us out online at clclfamily.church um, which you're either listening to this or maybe you already know about the website. Or you're anyway. on the Facebook, the Facebook, and you can the just Facebook, drop yeah. a message there as well. Yes, we will respond to that as well. I don't respond to that, just but we do. Sometimes I do, but we only do. if it's uh, hefty theological questions. Is my cat in heaven? <laughs> I, I feel like that's not true. Like I, I just am like questioning right now going, is, he, is that truth or it is, is he joking? Truth. I'm that not really truth. sure. That is actually so, truth. Not well, always, but it is truth. Anyway, let's kind of jump into this week. Um, man, so as we're starting, this is my year. This is week three of this. I, yeah. Or, yeah. So week three of this is my year. Um, do you want to kind of bring us up to speed of what we talked about this past weekend? Yeah, this is the 16th straight week of doing this podcast. Yeah. Really liked it. It's got some feet to it. So Wait, thanks for listening. 14th. 14th? I okay. think 14th. I tried to add a couple more. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what it is. I thought it was 16th. Um, yeah, so... In the series called This Is My Year, trying to figure out how in the world could this be the best year ever for us, best decade ever, and we're suspicious of that because we've made those promises, had those hopes, and they've kind of um, fallen by the wayside, disappointing us, whatever those things are. And typically, we're about, you know, we're three weeks in, and yeah. so that being the case, some of us are already kind of dropping our um, New Year's resolutions, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like over the last week, I have probably eaten, I'm not kidding <laughs> 30,000 calories? Like, I mean, uh, I don't know what happened. I just started clobbering stuff and going, what in the world is wrong with me? This is going to be the year that I was going to eat well, yeah, right? I, I've heard that it takes three weeks, like 21 days to form a habit. I, so yeah. if you have stuck with it so far, you're in the process or already started the process of that becoming a habit. So good job. But Yeah, well, not me. Um, and so <laughs> it's just that same story over and over again of how in the world do we just, I don't know if it's self-control, I don't know if it's commitment. Um but typically what happens at some point with whatever we're trying to draft to, we, as long as we think, we've been using this word in the last couple of weeks, uh, the likelihood has to do with possibility. And as long as we think it's possible, then perhaps it's still possible. The minute we no longer think it's possible, it no longer is possible. It's just right. that simple. And that mechanism in terms of just, you know, uh, human willpower, which seems silly that we would have a church that all we're talking about is our, our human willpower because the reality of human willpower is what we're what our human will will eventually do for us is destroy us and send us to hell. Right. So because of that, that the question isn't what do we think is possible this year? The question has been what do we think God thinks is possible, which is a really great question. 
And if you're suspicious, uh, critical, spirited, or, you know, whatever that is, like me, like uh, that, that even gets to be a hard question of what do we think God thinks is possible? Because when we look at our world and go, if God is really great and loving and good, then why in the world is there so much brokenness in our world? Like, God, where are you? And so we've been studying this group of people, kind of the people group, uh, the um, Israelites. Their name literally means wrestle with God, which I think is a beautiful thing. Because I actually think there's two types of people in this world, okay? Those who wrestle with God and those who don't. Hmm. The ones who wrestle with God are trying to figure out how to chase after God, and they're struggling with it. And then the ones who go, it's just not worth it. There's no one who just walks perfectly with God. Right. So either you right. wrestle with God or you're walking away from God. And hmm. so when we look at it that way, it's kind of neat to go, this is a nation of people who represent kind of that struggle of trying to trust God over themselves, trying to put their hope and trust in Him. And that's what faith is, is trusting in someone else or something else, right? And so we've been kind of studying this people group. Um after they've had kind of an established time, they've moved into their territory, their their nation, and they've kind of started to establish their constitution. you got the Ten Commandments, you got all these different laws. They've kind of established policies and procedures and governing orders. I mean, you got a lot going on. Yeah. And so it would be a time of kind of settling for them. And what we see happen once they get to this place that I would call, they call it the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. I would call it the land of possibility. They, you see them just kind of settle, right? right? And so we kind of have studied with them. It's very similar to what goes on with us. And I think that's what the Lord's doing of helping us like look at our own lives and our own selves through the lives of this nation. They kind of go through this pattern of sometimes they think God is all great and going to do great things. And then they become suspicious of God. They go, if it's so good, then why are things so bad? And so they try to take matters in their own hand. As a result, that pattern starts where they rebel. And then God kind of, uh, I would say in his anger, releases them, turns them over to their uh, desires. Those desires eventually cause pain for them. And in their pain and distress, they cry out in repentance, God, would you save us? God, always sends some kind of rescuer. That's what we've been studying in the book of Judges is the rescuer in the book of Judges is the judge, the one who comes and rescues them, tells them, follow me, guides them out of this path of destruction, or, you know, this pain and, you know, destruction and guides them to a new path of hope and possibility. And so God sends his salvation and then they come back to this land of possibility. And for a day, a week, month, years, they're excited about the possibilities. And as long as the judge is there, they follow him. So we just kind of been watching this pattern because it's just our pattern, particularly though. Okay, we think God can do the impossible, but we're not really seeing it in our own yeah. lives, our own marriages, in our own world, and we're suspicious of all those things. And so finally, we get to come to a judge who has the same thing. Now, in the past, yeah. what we've seen is we've seen judges. We've kind of seen like an introduction of here's a judge, here's what he does. Right. Where here we actually see like the internal battle of the right. judge, right. which is beautiful because it's the same battle we have. And what I loved about this is he shows up at this coward of a man, Gideon, and we see this journey of this guy who says, I can't. Right. And then he moves to this place of I can't, but God can, mm-hmm. right? Which is just this beautiful place. And then we see him go, oh, I can and so we just see, even in this judge, this godly man, um, the same pattern and uh, pain. And literally, we get to the end of his life, and it says uh, this prosperity he had uh, actually was a snare. Now, a snare, a snare, when you look at it, isn't just like a distraction or a temptation. A snare is is a place of death. Hmm. Like when you think about a snare, it's it's how you trap bears. It's how you get those things. Things that so you trap them to take them into captivity or to kill them, right? Right, right? And so we see this pattern with Gideon. So it just made sense that we'd be able to look at this and identify it from a personal perspective as opposed to a, you know, a, a, a corporate one. Right. And let's look at one guy that God calls to do something and let's study his life and see what we can learn from it and see what we could do different. And so that was why we jumped into this story of Gideon, chapter six, seven, and eight of Judges. Yeah, so this is one of my, I don't, I don't know, I feel like every story that I start thinking about is my favorite story. But this is one of my favorites because as I look at it, like seeing Gideon, seeing the inner struggle that he has, really I feel like gives me hope that, man, God can use me in my questions, in my doubts, in my fear, in my worries. Because as you see this picture of Gideon, like you started kind of in the beginning of it, again, you kind of scanned through a lot of it. So it was Judges 6, 7, and 8. Um, if you haven't listened to the to the recording, the the weekend service, I would, I would suggest doing that. It's pretty um, short, like 58 minutes. So it won't take you long. <laughs> so, but as you go through that, it's kind of talking about the case study. We've already talked about, you know, uh, Josh has got this wheel, if you haven't seen it, using a visual for the possibility. And then that goes from possibility to um, rebellion. Uh, yep, yeah. rebellion. I put, I can't, God can. So I put this, I started to put circle, but it, it's this cycle that goes through that. But as you look at Gideon, like this story starts off and Gideon is, 
uh, like I want to talk about the wine press. Like, mm-hmm. so he's he's threshing wheat in a wine press, and you talked about the significance of that. But maybe is there anything more to talk about there, or just to bring up? Because Gideon, when you look at the other judges, like it, it sounds, the other judges are kind of like, wow, they did these awesome, incredible things. But Gideon, when God calls a mighty warrior, yeah. it's like he ignores that. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 great. But why has all this happened? So, uh, like, just starting with the wine press and. Yes, yeah, so I'm. Mm, uh, that, uh, here, here's some insecurity in me. I, I, I'm not an expert in Israeli history. Like yeah. I don't understand uh, agrarian culture. I don't understand how wine presses work. I don't even understand. I think we're seeing this kind of in the season of, uh, yeah, wheat threshing, barley threshing. We don't. I don't know enough about it. Uh, scholars will say that the real likelihood is the reason he's doing this in that and not wine is because there's no. There's no fruit. Okay. Right. So the wine press is open. You got that piece, which just kind of means they're they're struggling. So right. this is a guy who's probably struggling, uh, poor, and trying to figure out a way to make some food. Right. 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 Uh, now we know he has some resources because later he's going to go get a goat. Right. But so we find him there, and so he the wine press is open, so nobody's making wine, and you know throughout human history, definitely through Israeli history, or um, the Old Testament wine was this this uh, drink of celebration and of prosperity. So you kind of go, oh, that thing's empty. This is not a good time for them. Right, right. But uh, so Gideon is using this. But the, the, the significant part really is how a wine press is set up, which is kind of in a ditch. You know, right. like they they build it into the ground. They would not have they wouldn't have had the money to go make these big massive you know um, troughs. Right. So they would have dug it into the ground probably. And if you've seen any of those YouTube videos where like third world countries they make like a little sitting pool in the water you know they're right, packing right. it down tamping it. it'd be like that and so it had been a place that was kind of recessed in the ground low in the ground and pretty deep in there so i mean you can imagine it's not like it's he's not like it's ankle deep i mean he is in there like because right. they would have brought a lot in here so enough for a, a you know a tribe even and so he you may not be able to see his head in this thing i mean it's a i mean it's deep right yeah and so he's in there which just doesn't make any sense because you have very little access to wind think about a tornado where are you told to go if a tornado comes don't go up high go down low if you can't get somewhere get in the ditch i go the lowest place possible and get in the ditch because that's where the wind is not going to hit you as hard so he's the way by which you thresh weed is by leveraging the wind to separate the the clumps from the chafe or chaff however you want to call that word and so he's in a really bad place to do this. And yeah. you know, that just doesn't make any sense because a threshing floor would have been up high, roofs, mountains, rocks, whatever, so that you could leverage and harness the power of the wind to right. do the separation. So he is in the worst place possible to do this chore, which means it's going to take him 10 times as long. Right. So you look at him and go, why in the world is he there? And then the scriptures say, because he didn't want the Mennonites to see it, get it, that kind of stuff. So right. in some ways it's going, well, he didn't want them to steal it. That's a real possibility. But he also did doesn't want to be seen. So this yeah. is a coward hiding in the wrong place, doing 10 times the work. Right. So not only, got a couple things there. One, he is not brave. Yeah. And probably in the foolish category, he is working harder and not smarter on this. And so it just doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. when you look in and go, what in the world is he doing there? Boy, he is... He is really trying to protect himself. He is yeah. trying to create as much safety as possible. And he's willing to do all of this extra work yeah. just to be safe. So I think that's the piece you got to see about this so how wine press. So how much would it be – so I guess I'm, I'm listening to that and I'm going, okay, so how much would it be – you know, maybe he's just not thinking through this very well or how much is it just the oppression and the fear of Midian? Like is it equal parts? And I know that this is complete speculation because it's not like – we have the listed out, this is why he was in a wine press. Yeah. But, like, is it equal parts? Is it, you know, speculation again? But how would we know the difference between those? Well, we know we know specifically, it says in uh, verse 11, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Right. So we know wholeheartedly this is a this is as a result of the fear of the Midianites. Right, right. So you read through the story of the Midianites. If they show up, not only are they going to take his stuff, they're going to take his life. Yeah. So we know that he is doing this in this moment at this place out of fear. Yeah. Out of fear, right? Which is so interesting and so important. Now, boy, I wish I could have preached hours on this. Because so much of our um, inability to walk with the Lord mm. is all based on fear. Yeah. It's all based on, I mean, like it's just... Risk analysis, right? right? Like we're right. always trying to imagine what would happen if we do this. I mean, we there is an entire 
industry trying to figure out what kind of risk is involved in everything, right? We pay premiums at our church based on the age of our church, the amount of people here, and the silly things we do, right? <laughs> uh, based on these, you know, bright insurance minds going, oh, there's a higher risk because you're going to do right. that. And right. so, so much of our life is spent doing just risk assessment. And so even trying to walk with the Lord. And, you know, we talk about all this, uh, you know, our our idol in our culture, I think. I think I, I think this is accurate. I know it is for me. I, I think I could say it on behalf of our people and people in this area. It, our idol isn't some trinket god, right? It's not even some political ideology. You know, it's not even those things. Our idol is safety, comfort, and security. Right, right. That's it, right? That's why we have lots of food. That's why we're trying to, you know, protect ourselves, insulate ourselves as much as possible, right? right? And so the very thing that's keeping us from really living this life with God is that we are afraid that he is not going to come through for us. Yeah. And Gideon has come to the point in his life that he's not expecting God to protect him and his wheat. Right. Right. He has made the decision himself to be in a ditch, hiding while he's doing this, because that's his only hope, because there is no one else who can protect him. Right. Right. So that's, I think, the picture of this guy is a guy who's come to the conclusion that if it's to be, it's up to him, and he's not capable. So his best bet is to hide and do more work and be more anxious and more exhausted just so he doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting hurt. And by yeah. the way, he's still afraid of that, even in the middle of this right. moment. Right. So. so the angel of the Lord shows up and you said that this was a, a Christophany. Am I saying that correctly? Maybe. I, you're saying this best tonight. Christophany, okay. Christophany, Christophany. I'm just saying it fast. And you explained that, but I, I think that this is maybe worth repeating because mm -hmm. we see this a couple different times in scripture, but can you explain that once again um, for maybe those that didn't hear it or maybe just a re-clarification for those that did? Yeah. So it gets confusing in uh, yeah. the Hebrew language because there are times that the same word is used, I wish I could tell you the word, uh, um, the same word is used for angel of the Lord, messenger of the Lord, and the Lord. Okay. And this is a really interesting passage because you see it interchange all the times. The angel yeah. of the Lord gives you a message, and then the Lord is with you. I am with you. Whatever these right. people go, whoa, is this an angel of the Lord or is this the Lord himself, right? And so by Lord, I mean boss, the one who's in charge, the one who um, the buck stops with, yeah. the one who feels the pressure, the one who, if this doesn't go well, it's actually on him. Right. right. That's what I mean by Lord. Like when we think about a Lord, at the end of the day, if something bad happens in an organization, you can see it all over the place. Who gets their head cut off, right? Who gets kicked out of the boardroom? It's the CEO. It's the one who goes, I am the one taking all the responsibility and burden right. of this. At the end of the day, if it's to be, it's my responsibility. So we see that word Lord throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And what the scriptures tell us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, right, says Jesus is boss, then is saved. So right. it's literally going, we trust Jesus fully. So throughout the Old Testament, you'll see these interactions where sometimes you'll see the messenger of the Lord, angel of the Lord, and the Lord all being the same identity. And so um, the best plausible explanation, and this isn't my explanation, this is brilliant scholars that are actually kind of reconciling what folks who... Uh, study the Torah, are having a hard time understanding, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're having some hard times with a couple things. One, um, when you read the, the Genesis account, when God starts talking to himself, let right. us make man our own image, that gets really confusing. Who is he talking to, right? Because he's not a pluralistic, pluralistic God, so he's right. talking to someone. And so this is where the Trinity shows up, gets really, really complicated, and you see the Trinity throughout the Old Testament. So when you see these moments where you see the angel of the Lord and the Lord go back and forth, and I imagine this is hard to translate because what tends to happen here is when it's a message, message, it's going to be the angel of the Lord, right? Right. Because that word angel, literally in the New Testament, and halos means messenger. Right. We even get confused with that in Revelation where it talks about the messenger of sending letters or covering each city. Is that an actual messenger or is that an angel? We don't know yeah. because they use the same language. And so when you see it as a, a message from God, it's going to be a messenger of the Lord, an angel okay. of the Lord. But then when that same person, they'll underwriting whatever their fear is, saying, no, no, I'm going to be with you. So you see the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go, right. wait, they're in there. But there's a fourth. And it looks like sometimes it says a messenger of the Lord, angel of the Lord, the Lord himself. Right. Well, the reason being is the best explanation for all this is it is both. This is when these things happen. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Okay. Right? So this means Jesus always was. It wasn't like he was sitting around doing nothing right. for a thousand of years right. going, I guess one day I'll be used as sitting a baby. Sitting on the couch going, no, nah, it's okay, not my time yet. Yeah, exactly. And so he's he is living and active and in yeah. the middle of this. So you see him show up. And yeah. so what we'd call that there is a Christophany, this appearance of Christ, right? That, yeah. Probably the you know, the way I explain it, because I like the word epiphany, going, oh, I had this sudden you know idea or thought. Well, there's a sudden you know discovery, a showing up of, 
appearance of <laughs> Jesus. And so that makes the most sense when you see this angel of the Lord who's also called himself Lord. Yeah. Well, that's dangerous if it's just an angel. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's actually what got Satan in so much trouble. Yeah. So therefore, that's where we go. The best possible explanation is this is both a guy speaking on behalf of God the Father, but also the guy who's going, no, but I'm going to be the one to be responsible for making sure this happens. Mm. I will be with you, which is the story of the gospel. No, no, I'm speaking on behalf of the Father, but I'm also the one that's willing and only the only one able to pay the price for you to do the will of the Father and be reunited with the Father. So therefore, we got Jesus showing up and judges. Yeah. So Jesus shows up and he he says... Um, I want to read it. It says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And like, and I think that's part of why uh, there's a couple different reasons, and I'm sure that we'll unpack it more. But that's one of the reasons why. And you talk to this over the weekend of going, God kind of calls out in Gideon his potential. He, he just doesn't see him for who he is, but for who he can be. And I think that's awesome. But God calls out like mighty warrior. Here's this guy yeah. that's threshing wheat in a wine press, most likely from fear, like doesn't want the Midians to get it. We know that for sure. And it's most likely due to fear. And God calls him mighty warrior. Like you spend some time talking about how there, God sees us at our greatest potential. Um, I don't know if that's something that you wanted to repeat or work through, but yeah. So, you know, you got the cute little statements like God doesn't call the equip. He equips the called, which is so true, but I feel like it's been so overused. It's like, that it felt weird to talk about it in that way. And so it's like, he doesn't call the brave, right. which is what we think about. Right. We we celebrate the brave guys who go in and list. Right. Which so far in yeah. Judges, which is what we've seen, yeah. right? Like we've seen so, the brave judges which or the make, footnotes. So we go, okay, we can't do this. Yeah. Not me. Okay, who's the judge? Who's the one that's going to free us from this stuff? Right. Like that's what we're looking for, right? Like who's the judge? Who's the one that's going to do that? And so – What's so beautiful about this is God doesn't, you know, call the brave. He makes brave the called, right? And so that's a that's a really interesting inverse. And so this is where it gets complicated for us and why fear is such a driving point. You know, so a lot of people say, you know, faith is the opposite of fear, right? You got faith, you got fear. And I go, no, faith is actually fear is the absence of faith. Right. It's just as we haven't put our faith in trusting God. We just haven't done that. And so these things are at war. And all of us. And the lie we tell ourselves is one day when we get our junk together, when we get our life in order, when we break that addiction, when we go to church six weeks in a row, when we get our marriage reconciled, once we have kids, whatever it is, once I feel like I'm an adult, then finally, when we feel like we've put enough of our life together that we can then go do the church thing, mm, yeah. we will. And the reality is none of us are capable of doing that. Right. So it really is. like Even the neat part about the story is the way by which these Israelites end up in this land that you know Gideon now resides in as a result of God showing up to Joshua and saying, consecrate yourselves, like right. prepare your hearts for this. For tomorrow the Lord's gonna do amazing things. So right. could you just pause and prepare? Like get prepared for this. Like and then it says the way by which they crossed the land is it was, you know, rushing flood stage waters, Jordan River. Like that means if you got in the water, you were you were dead. Right, you're gone. It says that the, the priests, the leaders of this with the Ark of the Covenant, God's words and promises, this promise that he this without stipulations, right? When it said that the bare soles of their feet touched the water, then the water is parted. It's just this idea that, you know, it's not that our obedience activates God's omnipotence. God is all powerful always. But there's some connection when we trust that God is going to meet us where we are and give us what we need, that God shows up. So faith is this process of, faith is not this this belief system, right? Faith is actually an action step. So at some point, Gideon, you know, he's going to need lots of reassurance to come to the conclusion that I'm going to move and God's going to meet me where I am, not the other way around. Well, I'm waiting for God to work out all the details. That's what I hear all the time. Well, we're just waiting for God to work out all the details. And I would just say, well, where is your faith in that? Mm. Your faith is not going, I believe in the God of tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm going to move towards him. I'm just going, well, once God gives me all the stuff, and I'll do that. So you see this, yeah. you know, this tender, gentle God walking yeah. with him, the Lord. And yet, in this moment, calling him the mighty warrior, which is what I really wanted to highlight was, there's two different ways to look at this. And this is where I think there's kind of this, uh, the way that God speaks to us versus the way the enemy, Satan, speaks to us. So, you know, like you've heard things like uh, Satan sees your sin or whatever it is. It's, it's more significant in, than that little cute statement. It's... God sees you as you will be for all eternity, mm. not as we are right this moment. Right, because we are, if we're going, we're not graded on this moment. Like this, 
This whole life is a mere blink of the eye compared to what right. we have for eternity. Right. So God sees us as he is making us through his resurrection power. So he's able to look at Gideon in that moment and says, I am calling you who you are going to be. So I'm not identifying you where you are now. I'm calling you for who you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Now, the enemy does the opposite. He wants you to find all your identity and where you are now. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me make you feel ashamed so that you'll never get to where God wants mm -hmm. you to be. Mm -hmm. So one is already calling you what you're going to be, and the other one's going, I'm going to call you who you are so that you'll never see that who you'll be. Yeah. And so in this moment, he is calling Gideon this coward, <laughs> this mighty warrior, which is just... Beautiful, because in Proverbs it says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of studies on this that are even like secular. You can, like I was reading a study, it's so broken about uh, students, you can't do the study anymore and you shouldn't, but basically they revealed to teachers which ones were the smart ones and which ones were the dumb ones, which ones were supposed to pass the test, okay. which ones who weren't. And the results, of it, and it had nothing to do with their scores. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the ones they said were good were bad, and like in terms of their grades, a lot of them they said were bad were good, right? And at the end of the year, the ones that they told would not succeed, they did not succeed. Right. Which you can't do that now because it's like, man, you're messing with a kid's livelihood, right? But the reality is what we see in someone and what we call someone is who they end up being. So when you see in Proverbs, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So what you see Jesus, Jesus do here, Jesus, that's interesting. Uh, Jesus <laughs> do here is he literally speaks this truth yeah. to him. And that, that truth is going to become a reality. So, yeah. Yeah. And so as we continue that, what's interesting is that it's so God says mighty warrior. And it looks like in, in 13, it's kind of like he just ignores that. He goes, Gideon's going, pardon me, Lord, but. Not like, like yeah, I am. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're talking to me. Wait, or... we say that again? <laughs> but he goes, pardon me, yeah. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us. Um, and he goes kind of kind of into what could be you know you could look at it, it seems like he's complaining but I, I don't want to use the word complaining because i feel like that's harsh he's questioning going well god if 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 you're for us why is all this happened why are we in this oppression that we are why am i threshing wheat in a wine press like why why is this happening and so he kind of questions god with that and what's amazing to me is throughout the story is that as as gideon's doing this just time and time again how god reassures him like yeah. as we go further into the story as He's supposed to tear down the idols yeah. uh, of his father's house, and he does it at night because he's scared. And then as he's assembling the warriors, like he's having conversations, and then right before he attacks the Midianites, which he doesn't even actually do anything for, mm -hmm. but he like has this, overhears this dream. I guess the question, in fact, maybe now's the time to ask a question of about kind of this whole idea of testing God, because what we've heard and what we know is that we shouldn't test God, right? Like God gave his son... But how in this case, and, and obviously I, I just left out one of the biggest parts for Gideon, is that the fleece. Lord, yeah. would you make the fleece wet and the ground be dry? And yeah. then the ground dry and the fleece wet. Yeah. Like So yeah. time and time again, it's, it's like Gideon is testing God. But in this sense, God shows to be like gracious and loving. And so uh, kind of the question in that is that, and this is from one of our listeners, it says, in the Bible, Gideon tests God not once, but twice. And God was very gracious. I would even say that it was more than twice. Like <laughs> yeah, uh, just even the conversations, probably more. We are told, uh, we are now told that we don't need to test God, that he gave us the ultimate sign, his son Jesus dying on a cross for us. However, sometimes as Christians, we ask for signs to see if this is God, God's will for us. Are we allowed to do that? Should we do that? Can we do that? Oh, uh, great question. So, I, a couple things I want to point out. I don't want to. I'll get back to that question. The thing I love that God responds to Gideon when Gideon goes, "God, where are you?" He kind of yeah. goes, "Am I not sending you?" Yeah. So there's this beautiful part of God going, "You are the activity for right. our world." Like. You are the answer. My Holy Spirit empowering a billion followers yeah. are what's going to you know, get rid of poverty, all this messy brokenness. Like there is a solution to this. And right. so he's literally saying to Gideon, yes, I have a plan. And my plan has always been you. And so yeah. when I think about that, I think, I think that's where the test gets interesting okay. because um, – the idea of faith is not, I'm waiting for God to work out all the details. It's, I am so confident that the Lord is with me that I'm going to move and he's going to meet me where I am. Yeah. So the problem with a test is two things. One, it puts you on the judge's seat and puts uh, God in the witness stand or on trial. Even, okay. you know? And so some ways it does seem dangerous that we would sit in the seat and go, God, we will as long as you. Yeah, right. Like, 
what the god of the universe has to do a dog and pony show for right, us to believe right. him and the problem with that is it actually limits our faith so i would say the best place to test and i, and I wholeheartedly believe this is moving in faith hmm. towards god so joshua's people got a test answered yeah. god said i'll part the waters when your souls touch the water right uh, souls of your feet touch the water so that was a test. Yeah. And they're going, I guess we'll see if this is true. Oh, yep, it's true, right? The problem is, is we don't like the test where there could be some pain on our part mm. ahead of time. Mm. So a lot of times we go, ah, I'm not sure it's God because I, if he shows me, maybe I'll do it. And, you know, even in the New Testament, Paul, Jesus, they go, man, here's here's the thing. You you Greeks, you, have, you know, evolved minds. You just want more information. Mm. And you Jews, you just want more miracles. Yeah. And... Yet, neither one of those are going to do that. The only thing that's going to solve this for you is the, the cross of Jesus and the resurrection. So you got to understand that Jesus was crucified. And so it's not that I don't want to chastise. It's just yeah. I think we're searching and seeking something that it seems rare that if even likely that God would do to help us there. So I understand what he's doing with Gideon in this moment going, okay, let me give you some confidence here. And Gideon is talking to the pre-incarnate Jesus. Yeah. So he hasn't seen Jesus do his right, work yet. Right. So that's where I'd say, yeah, the test is all for us. Like, look, we can look at 2,000 years of church history yeah. and go, hundreds and millions of people have given their life to this, died for it. Like, first century people, they literally did everything they could to shut up people's mouths to the point of murder, mm -hmm. persecution, suffering. And yet, more and more people kept following. He did it. Every human being on the planet at that point that's Christian was just crazy and mentally ill. Or they saw something. Right. And what they saw was the answer to a test. God, mm. if you're real, would you make yourself known mm. to us, right? God, if you would do that, would you make yourself known to us? And so I think it makes perfect sense to do to test God. Yeah. Okay. But I think it makes sense to test God in our faith. God, I'm going to go across the room and have that conversation that I believe you told me to do. And I would love for you to show me with your power what's going to happen there not like yeah. hey, okay god here it is i'm gonna throw something up throw something down let's see what happens yeah. i think the beauty of the test is actually in the in the process of doing it okay not in the so if you think about this we even think about malachi it says test me on this right you know understand this right. is it this is really important that you see this because this is a test but this isn't a test where we ask god to perform some crazy sign and miracle ahead of time who does something first yeah. we do we go here's god we're going to trust you with our finances right and we can watch and see what God does there. So there's yeah. still an action of faith there. So when we go, well, you're not supposed to test, but you can kind of test. See, in Malachi test, well, you're testing in your faith, yeah. not in your suspicion and your judgment. You're not sitting and asking God to perform a whole show for you so yeah. that maybe one day you'll do anything. Because the reality is you're still probably not going to do it. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it's more about... You know, yeah, so I feel like as I'm listening, so what I feel like you're saying is that as long as you're moving forward in faith and obedience testing God is not wrong, right? Like, so you're going, okay, God, I'm moving towards this. But if you can show your will or you can, you know, Lord, let me know that this is the right decision. Like yeah. as you're being obedient to that, you're saying that that's okay to test God. And I guess I, I'm thinking of Malachi 3.10, yeah. like test me in this. And it's specifically about finances, like bringing your, your, your goods, your tithe yeah. to the storehouse, and that God would abundantly pour out His blessing. Open, See if I, I don't open up the floodgates of heaven yeah. and pour my blessing. Yep. So it's it's this idea of action. Mm -hmm. So it's an action oriented, and therefore not so much this test as exactly what you're saying. You're going. It's not sitting back and going, "Well, God, if you do this, I'll do this." But in your obedience, in your action steps, going, "God, would you reveal?" Yeah. So I think the test me in this is really important. What is the in this? He is calling people to trust yeah. him with what they, this false belief that this stuff all belongs to them. Yeah. So he's going to test me on this. Like, you want to you want to see this? Why don't you put some faith into this? So that's a completely different test than we just sitting back and asking God to write something on a wall or those kind yeah. of things. It's just like, who are we to declare that God do this? Now, so where this gets... Uh, murky for us is when we have this belief that God's called us to do something right. and we're going, God, this could completely wreck our lives. Uh, I don't know if we should do this guy. Would you give me three or four more signs? Well, if you believe God's called you to do something, the place that you test God is actually doing it. You know, yeah. then, then you can see if God's going to come through for you that way. And you're right. like, ah, oh, that's, that makes me really, really nervous. And that's why I love the process of faith because I will take gigantic leaps now. I think yeah. people who know me know that I'll take gigantic leaps. But the reason being is 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I took small leaps. Right. Like I took small leaps with, I mean, 
candidly, I was a pastor for three years before I ever gave the church any money. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was 24 <laughs> yeah. before I ever trusted. I was already a pastor before I ever trusted God yeah. with my finances. And that's what I love about finances. And I think it's a significant decision where we go, God, you are greater than this. And we believe you'll do this. What's interesting is there are many people listening to this. No, no judgment on you because I struggle with it completely. There are many people listening to this who are asking God to perform some kind of, you know, you know, test or some kind of, you know, confirmation for us mm. who have never once gone, God, I'm going to trust you with what mm. you've given me. Yeah. Right. And so he actually has given us some clarity on here's what you can do. Here's how you can live. And so like you just read Matthew five, six and seven, read Jesus's story of what faith looks like. We trust him, the Sermon on the Mount and start applying those things and go, yeah. okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this. Where that person hit me on the right side of the cheek, I am not going to, I'm not going to seek retribution. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to take the punishment. I'm just going to absorb it. And I'm going to see how that works for me. I'm going to forgive my brother or sister. I'm going to, there's so many things that we can do to test God by just following God's word and seeing how he responds. And then what happens there is those lips, leaps get bigger and bigger and bigger. So like, I don't know, 10 years ago when we planted our first church, we were with an organization and, you know, we were in a kind of a Southern, you know, the South Bible Belt and a church town and we were baptizing a couple hundred people a year. Like just, crazy what god was doing in a bar and then a mexican restaurant and like you now those fingerprints are all over all over the u.s and globe and churching mm-hmm. and planning and all that kind of stuff and it's a beautiful thing and so they brought me in they go hey will you tell them what you did and i'm like i don't really know what to tell you guys like <laughs> i think the only thing we did is we took big leaps and god caught us mm-hmm. we just kept taking big leaps and god kept catching us and so there's something about this is you can keep taking leaps and the best place to get confirmation that god is with you is when he catches you or mm-hmm. when he fills in the gap so yes please test god by operating in faith. Yeah. Don't test God by sitting back on your chair and going, I'm not going to do anything until you perform correctly. Right. Right. I could not imagine my kids telling me that. Yeah. I'll do something once you do something. What? You know, like I've called you to, so this seems almost disrespectful and defiant to God. Now, Gideon does it. God is gracious. But the reason he's gracious is we have not seen the pre-incarnate Jesus. Yeah. At this point, they are suspicious because they have not seen God reveal yeah. all of his cards. But even in that, I feel like he's assembling the army. He's dismissing the army. Yeah. Like So there is the, this obedience in these action yeah. steps. Like right before that, that last you know, one that I'm thinking about is when he goes to the enemy's camp and hears this, this dream. Like they're poised and ready. Like yeah. it's not that they're going well should we do this no mm. they're they're poised and ready um maybe they didn't have the you know the jars or the 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 torches at that yeah. point but they're those 300 are about to do this uh-huh. so i think that there is some obedience yeah. to that as well well if so, you think about even the first sign he gets was when he makes the yeah. you know makes the unleavened bread and the goat He's offering God a gift. Yeah. And it's in the gift that he gets the sign. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there is something that the fleece are a little interesting going, okay, and I think God yeah. is just being gracious. And so I'm going, hey, I think we've misused that because I think we're sitting back and going, God, here, I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do for me and then I'll follow you. Now, yeah. Could, is that possible? Could God do that? Quite possibly. But I think at some point we grow up in our faith. Yeah. And we go, no, the way that we see God is we move and he comes through for us. And here's the last thing I'll say there. But the hard part about that is what if you haven't really heard from God? Hmm. Like, what if you get it wrong? Yeah. Like, and I wrestle with this for a decade. Yeah. And I think only in the last three years have I come to some resolution. And I talk about this all the time as a result of it because it's so significant in uh, my spiritual formation, right? So, what if you're wondering, it's like, God, it's not that I don't want to do it. I just, I'm not testing you on whether or not I think you're all powerful. What I'm testing is whether or not I've heard clearly from you. Mm. Like, that I think is the other piece. Okay. Is this clearly what you want from me? Because if you're telling me to quit my job, but you're not actually telling me to quit my job, and I quit my job, then I didn't hear from you. So, I, so right. a lot of the test is more in the clarity right. than it is in whether or not God will do the thing. And so, right. here's what I'll tell you here, and this is you're not gonna love it, but this is this is the best I got. Right? I love in the, and I, I think you've heard me say this multiple times. I love in the opening of Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, which is important because this is mm-hmm. this is what your life would look like. This is how you would walk in obedience if you believed I was God. Right? Yeah. This is it. If you believed I died for your sins, that's what Matthew five, six, seven. If you, this is what perfect faith looks like, right? And he starts it with, "Blessed are the pure," and are one of the first beatitudes. "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God." Right. Which is such a relief to me that the goal isn't that I have to hear clearly from God, understand clearly what He's calling me to. I just got to ch- test my motives. Yeah. So what's so crazy is you can go, I think God wants me to leave my job. I think God wants me to do that. 
then you get to pause and then check your motives. Right, Am I actually right. tired of my job and I just want to quit? I want to use God as the example. Then right. I really like that person anymore and I want to tell them that God wants me to break up with them. Or do I deep down believe? Not that God showed you the right sense. Do you believe in your own heart and soul that this is the next right step? Yeah. Now, if you're there, it doesn't matter if you got it clearly. Right. Because he doesn't say, blessed are those who hear clearly. Blessed are those who are smart, wise, make the right decisions, understand God's word, yeah. have perfect yeah. faith. This is blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God, which is what a test is. Test is going, right. God, I just want to see you. You want to see God based on the scriptures. All you got to do is have a pure heart. Yeah. So that means you can make the exact wrong decision with the right motives and according to those scriptures, if they're true, and we'll see it here, yeah. we can test God on this, right? And we will still see God in it. So yeah. it kind of just takes off all the pressure of getting it right. Yeah. If you can, But it does require us to pause for a second and go, okay, what are my motives? Man, yeah. I just want God to be pleased in my life, and I really do want the kingdom of heaven to be brought to this earth, and I want to give him my best. Well, then you'll see God in that. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know if this makes sense for those that are listening, but I feel like my life, I tend to be a doer. So yeah. I tend to to run towards what I feel like God is calling me to. And I feel like many times, and I guess I'm hearing that this is okay as long as I'm being obedient, as long as my motives are correct. I feel like my prayer usually in the middle of that is like, Lord, would you open doors if they're supposed to be open and close doors when they're supposed to be closed? And so sometimes as I'm running full steam towards this idea or this thought or what I feel like God is leading me to, sometimes it's like, wow, I couldn't believe that this is how God played that out. Yeah. And other times it was like, oop, uh, I don't think that that was what God was calling me to do. But it's almost a, a, a deviation. I don't know if that seems like it's the wrong word, but it's almost a detour. But that got me to a point or a place where God then uses something else. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess as I'm listening to you tell that, I'm going, man, I, I've always wondered, like, you know, is that just a headstrong foolishness? And I think it can be if yeah. I allow it to be. But I also think that that's maybe the mode of faith that yeah. we need to operate in. Again, if our motives are right, if we're if we're examining ourselves and we're going, okay, God, our desire is to please you, then that's kind of what it looks like we should be doing is in obedience, then going, okay, God, Show me, like, and if it's not this, you got to show me that too. Yeah, and this shouldn't surprise us because yeah. all of our life is based on intent. Yeah. Like, even our judicial system, the amount of time you go away has to do with the intent that you had yeah. in the crime, yeah. right? It all has to do that. Even, like, you think about us relating to our spouses. If you're giving flowers to get out of trouble or to get your <laughs> wife to perform something for you, right, it's not received. Right. But if it's just to celebrate how you love your spouse— right. The intent. You can get a smaller thing, the wrong thing. The intent is what matters here. You can give right. millions of dollars to solve malaria, but if it's because you don't want people to know or want to be distracted from the abuse and assault you've done to people, right. people right. are going, well, we'll take your money, but that doesn't make us respect you anymore. Right. Right? Intent right. matters deeply. And so that yeah. is the one place I'd go, man, that would probably be a good place to kind of begin the test. Test your intent. God, if it's yeah. just that I want to know you, serve you, and be loved by you and show you my adoration for you. Yeah. Jump all in. And I guarantee yeah. you, I guarantee you, God will pass whatever test it is because He's telling us you will see Him, which yeah. is just glorious. Because at the end of the day, that's much more important than success. Yeah. And uh, just knowing and being known and seeing God is, I mean, that's what we're going to do for all eternity. Right. So, right. like, that's so much more important than whether or not we get it right or solve all the problems. It's seeing God. If we, if this scripture is true, that the only way by which this happens is by God anyway. So to see him and experience him seems to be at the kind of the, the highest level of the list. And so I think we just got to check our intent. In yeah. So yeah, that makes any sense. And then we spend some time. With yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I think that that's good. Yeah. I do want to kind of progress through yeah. one of the things that you said, and this is after Gideon. So he's, God gives him the first kind of task is to tear down the altars. And one of the things that you said is that God always wants to take new territory in you before he takes new territory through you. Do you want to expound on that? Like uh, again? Yeah. So when we see the progression of Gideon and I wish he would, I wish I would. So I can't really judge Gideon there. There's this process of, I can't, I can't, yeah. so I can't, but God can, right? That is the, okay. In this, we see what God has done. The reason why the new territory in us is so valuable is we will never find all of our value and all of our esteem by what we do. Yeah. Right. So if God were to use us to do great things, I promise it will still leave us wanting. Right. Because then we'll be suspicious of the only reason that people love us. Like, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with that all the day. Like, as long, all the time. Like, as long as I'm a good pastor, I do the right things, the people in our congregation care about me. But what happens if I don't? Yeah. 
Like, what happens if I don't? Like, I'm out. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. No, I know you're joking, but you know, what happens if I don't? What happens if yeah. What happens if I mess up? What happens if things don't go right? What happens? Like, is is, is my value based on my performance? Right. And as a guy who's grown up in the church and seen it play out a lot and someone who likes to perform, right? That is a huge struggle for me. So if Gideon does all this stuff, right? Yeah. And it solves it, but doesn't realize what God first freed him of, this right. idol, this falsehood, this life that he lived in his own home of brokenness, right? Yeah. That he doesn't actually get resolution and healing from that. Then all the other stuff right. he's going to believe is now based on his performance and his values don't come from his performance. Yeah. And you see this with him, by the way, because at the end of the day, he's like, I want to make these fancy things and it's going to be a snare. Yeah. So there's something in this. And I, I would say for every single human being that's listening to this, there's something in this that God's going, there is something across your generational curse lines, something that's happened in your family, in your own life, that at some point God really wants to clean up, mm. not because he's mad at you, but because he wants you to walk in the mm. freedom and the joy of what it's like to live in a household that sees Jesus as Lord and the boss and the one who's in charge of everything and the one who takes all the responsibility. And so what you see here and you see throughout the scriptures is that he actually calls Gideon to clean up this falsehood he's learned in his life, right? That's why I love Psalm 45 when you think about kind of the marriage banquet where he says to to a girl, listen, O daughter, consider and give ear for the king. Listen, daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house, for the king is enthralled by your beauty. Mm-hmm. That piece of forget your people and your father's house, that is everything you've been told about your identity and your value and who you are is not true. Yeah. It's what the king says about you. And that word enthralled literally is the Hebrew word aval, means he is captivated mm-hmm. by you. And so there is something in that we got to go, we cannot, we got to take out these false idols, which are always about comfort and security. And we got to survey our own home and go, we are never going to know if this is God moving or if we're doing it as long as we continue to lean into our own power yeah. and our own comfort. So I think that piece, he's got to take that territory in us. He's yeah, got to yeah. gotta be the Lord of that in us. Right. Not that he won't use us in other ways, right. but we won't be able to receive it in light of the way that he wants us to, which is, man, God wants to use me for his glory, not that look what I did. Yeah. Right. So that's the piece I think is really important. we got to clean house in that so we can appreciate the territory he takes in us yeah. or through us. Yeah. All right. So, wow, man, I'm sorry. I don't know if uh, I got through half of my content, but hopefully it's a good conversation for you guys at home. Um, Yeah, let me just kind of catch up where where we're at. So, By the way, I'm glad I I like where we are because – that test piece, I would have liked to spend more time on. Yeah. I said, I'll get to it. And I only I like kind of got to it in all three of the services at the very yeah. end. Like, oh, man, I had so much more to cover in that piece. Of yeah, and, and I do yeah. feel like that there's so much there. I mean, it's three chapters, so there's so much there going on mm-hmm. and that you could work through. So um, so Gideon's got his army down to 300. Like, mm-hmm. this is what God calls him to do. Was there any significance? And I guess part of this is that I heard from uh, somebody before kind of make this statement. I don't know if it's true or not. Like I I've, haven't researched it myself, but one of the things that I heard this person say is that possibly the 300, the way that they drank water from the stream was one, the ones that lapped like a dog yeah. weren't really prepared for battle versus the ones that could potentially have a, a hand on their weapon and then cup the water and bring it to their mouth. Like, I, I don't know. In your study, did you come across anything like that? I guess that's more of a personal uh, question than I'm What curious. I did study about, what did come up was the ability to observe. Okay. okay? The ability to observe when you're um, drinking, yeah. head up, chin up, you're right. drinking, versus that's head down, not aware. Right. So right. Um, I, I didn't spend a lot of time there because well, I don't know if this is true or not, but there was lots of conversation going, these would have been the most ill-prepared people because they – didn't even know how to drink water in a way that they could see around them, right? Yeah, this is not, right. you know, head on a swivel, nine and three. Right. Like, these are not people who know what's going on. So these right. are people that are don't know even know how to be prepared for that that simple thing of how can you take water and right. still be prepared for what could come okay. around. So I wanted to highlight the fact that they drank like dogs, not like cats, because cats are demons. Yeah, that I agree to be, totally that with that. That seemed to be a lot more important that's, to me than talking about truth. the preparation. So, so yes, more than likely, not only are there only 300 left, these 300 are the ones who... Probably shouldn't have been battling. They're probably young. You yeah. know, they're probably young, haven't had any military training. Right. This makes sense. Right. Yeah, so. uh, and then also another question for me is, as you were talking about the loaf of bread, so so Gideon is a loaf of bread that comes rolling down into the Midianite camp, and it, like, knocks over a tent, and his soldiers go, clearly that means Gideon's going to defeat yeah, us. No. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what they ate the night before, but that just seems like a unique interpretation of that dream but uh, but my question in that is that so and i guess this comes from a little bit of background study on wheat and barley and so 
like wheat was kind of what, you know, uh, ideally that's even now what we make bread out of. Yeah. But barley would have been kind of like a poor man's bread. Is, is that Poor correct? and clumpy and not really stick together. Yeah. So, you know, like I don't know if you've seen the, the Marvel movies. I think they're all stupid, but I know people <laughs> like them. But I imagine like, you know, the Incredible Hulk when he gets angry and all of a sudden he like builds into this big massive yeah. thing. I just see that moment in Gideon. But instead of all these muscles, it's just like. Did you just turn into a piece of bread? You know, like that is like what's your superpower? Like the marshmallow well, you know, man, almost yeah, from yeah. from Ghostbusters. So, so did he's like, what's your superpower? Well, I'm really starchy and filled with carbs, right? I bring people sleepiness and yeah. sluggishness. I don't really know. So yeah, it is. And those two, this is not the one you want to be. Yeah, you know. Right. So yeah, it clumps. So I can imagine as it's rolling, it's not staying together. It's falling off pieces. By the time it actually hits the tent, it's only like one fourth of the piece left. And I was like, oh my goodness, he got one tent down. But yeah. it was enough. It was enough for Gideon to go, oh, like he bows in worship, like thanking and praising Jesus that he's a loaf of barley bread and there's victory there. So it was kind of the, the last, I feel like, test that well, we see. Well, what you see there, which is really, really neat, um, it's where Gideon's fear is replaced with faith. Yeah. And the faith that the Midianite army had in their abilities is replaced with fear. Right. right. And so in that moment, what happens is Gideon's fear is gone because yeah. the Lord is with him. And that same fear, he knows that cowardice. He yeah. knows exactly what he'd do when he feels that. Yeah. He would run, he'd hide, he'd freak out, he'd do all those things. And all of a sudden, he saw in them who he always was. Yeah. And so he's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> these guys have had so much faith. They had faith in their own thing. I used to have faith in that. Boy, they think I'm going to do it, you know. But yeah. so I think that is pretty important to see this kind of this clutch gas thing that right. what happens is you see Gideon move in this faith and you see the enemy. Yeah. You know, which makes sense because the enemy should live in fear, right? Because it doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why I hate the idea of David and Goliath and these others being an underdog story. It's a ridiculous thought to go. <laughs> like I hate when I hear like Marge Madness. It's David versus Goliath, and I'm like, well, Goliath should watch out then because right. David right. had God. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> God versus anything is never an underdog story. Right. So Gideon plus the three hundred that doesn't even matter. That's like the extra. It's yeah. God versus the Midianites. I think Gideon finally got that. Yeah. That moment, so. so I think that that's school and I, I still feel like there's so much more th- you know the third watch yeah one thing i want to say yeah. there sorry um i wish i could spend more time on here is like doesn't we don't see any evidence that god tells gideon to do this what what part the third watch piece the lanterns. oh during the third yeah. watch yeah, it's not okay. like he goes gideon here's what i want you to do yeah so there's some real good speculation here that gideon uses his own mind hmm. like how would yeah. how would a guy who doesn't know how to fight yeah. How would a guy that is, feels all this burden responsibility, how would he respond? So I think there's something really interesting to go, while God is all-powerful, he is so gracious that he leans into his people and allows them to into it, to think yeah. about stuff and to discern stuff and participate in his kingdom. Yeah. And so I don't know if God speaks that. I don't know if he gives him direction. I don't know if Gideon goes, well, this is the best case yeah. scenario. He's I don't already know. done one thing but at it night, sure maybe that's when he's up. <laughs> yeah, it sure does seem like God is... You know, leaning into Gideon's weakness to yeah. allow him yeah. to be a part of this. And so there's something neat about this going, oh, that's so neat that God didn't just come in and infuse this right. mighty warrior like we think of Samson and everybody else. He's, right, still, right. he's still Gideon. Yeah. But he still sees him as a mighty warrior because he's using the gifts and talents and experiences yeah. now filled with the Holy Spirit in that direction to, to fight this fight. Yeah. So this idea of a mighty warrior doesn't mean you have to not be who you are. You know, right, like right. this idea that all Christians need Pretend to be tough. to be yeah. something Like this not. isn't. Yeah, like he good. uses everybody's personality and their experiences and their talents in a way that makes us mighty warriors in our own in our own arena not that yeah. we all have to this cookie cutter jesus uh, church thing you all have to look like this dress like this say right. these things right. i think that's pretty beautiful that that's the possibility yeah so. uh so just we've got about five minutes i feel like there's there was so much more that we could continue to talk about but we'll kind of jump through i am uh, i want to hear uh, so there's one other kind of follow-up question and then the other thing that i have is just kind of it, how do you not talk about so we see this kind of full swing where Gideon goes from fearful scared nervous to then all of a sudden this snare as you've already talked about is that this you know this earring and he creates something out of it and then that becomes a snare for his family like and he goes from I can't but God can but but then it kind of back to this prideful like I can well I can yeah yeah and so I feel like it's maybe important to, to talk about that if there's anything yeah. more that you wanted to say for that. And then also, um, together, well, I think, yeah. yeah, I think so. that the next one is, is um, I can't, God can. But also then it says, uh, also, can you repeat, this was another question by one of our listeners, can you repeat, repeat the 
bride, groom, and best man story that you said at the end of the second service. I didn't quite hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So those go together, I think. And I think this is really the important part of this and explains so much because the big idea is how do we break the cycle? Yeah. And what we see in throughout the Israelites in our own play, you know, our own uh, life, it's there are some tests, right? Yeah. It's not that we get to test God, but there's some tests in our own world. And one of them specifically is the test of pain. And here's what I think wholeheartedly. I think we're pretty good at passing the test of the pain. I know I am. When I get to the point that I can't fix my pain and I want it to go away, inevitably I cry out to God, mm-hmm. right? And so we're all pretty good at recentering ourselves, particularly those of us as Christians, when they're in deep pain, asking God to come through, right? That is kind of the natural bent that we look up to someone, something bearing us and go, if you can, I will, right? Yeah. And so that one we're pretty good at passing. It's actually the test of prosperity that we fail yeah. over and over again. It's this belief that all this stuff we have and I mean, I, I shared it on Sunday. I don't think I said it on Sunday night. By the way, I'm talking to a prosperous church. Right. Like the folks listening to this, the fact that you're listening to it online right. or like in your car, like we are yeah. we are not the bottom half or the bottom yeah. third of bottom fourth or of, of our world. The fact that you have clothes and food means we're prosperous. And the lie that we believe is that somehow we earn this on our own, mm. right? Which is the danger. And once you get to the point that we believe we earned it on our own, we no longer need God. And that is the big question I think we have to answer. If God doesn't come through for us today, yeah. then what changes? Yeah. And that's where our faith is strong so much because that's the test. The yeah. test is I need God to come through. And our faith and where God over and over again passes the test is he comes through where we need him. But we live in our world and go, well, we don't really need you. Yeah. Frankly, I don't really need him. Yeah. Which is devastating and scary and so getting at to the point where he fought off all the enemies you see a couple more wars and Gideon is in a good place of prosperity and he doesn't need God anymore and because he doesn't need God anymore he starts believing this false belief that he somehow got himself there that is what self-righteousness does Mm. right all of us in our church world at some point we cried out God gave us grace and then we received the grace you know overwhelmingly and then something happened we learned more about the Bible we started going to church more we started knowing more than other people our lives got better where other people's lives are struggling our marriage is better and all of a sudden we believe that somehow we were more unique in our ability to do this than others and we start believing our own press and so what happens is we go from I can't I can't, but God can. Then finally, no, I got this, God. You yeah. see it with Peter walking on water. You see it throughout the scriptures where we get ourselves to a point where we believe our own press and our own self-righteousness. And that's what happens to Gideon to the point where he goes, no, I won't be your king. False humility, right? right, right. But if you'll give me your gold, I'll make this nice little worship, right. you know, item, garment, sleeveless, whatever it is. And it literally says it's a snare to Gideon because what, why it's a snare is because that thing people are worshiping and they are celebrating, by the way, their past. Mm-hmm. And when you have more celebrations of what happened in the past mm-hmm. than you have hope in the future, yeah, you are dying. You're dying, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is what happens to Gideon, and that's what I don't want to happen to our people. Because what Gideon loses sight of is whose picture it is and whose planet it is. And that's why it went to the – you got to hear the story. Because the whole story of Gideon is God – the Lord is with Gideon and does the heavy lifting. Right. Gideon is a pawn, a, the one that God right. loves. But Gideon doesn't do this. God does. Right. God does this with 300 people. He's got to get credit. And we got to continue to remember that it's God's story and God gets the credit. And our job is to point people to that story, yeah. which leads to kind of the, what we see of the whole idea of Scripture, which is one day everything will be right. And the way by which God describes it is a beautiful wedding. Mm-hmm. Beautiful wedding, right? So one day there'll be this huge banquet and there'll be a bride and a bridegroom. And we all understand the story of a bride and a bridegroom. Now, in the scriptures, God describes us as a bride and that he has the groom. He's going to come back, even in John 14. Um, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be believing God also in me. My father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what a groom would do for a bride prior to the wedding. He'd go prepare a place. So Jesus is preparing a place, and one day he'll come and make all things right. Now, while we're described as a bride, there is another picture that we're described as, or that we can be described as in the New Testament, because John the Baptist is described this way. He describes himself as the best man, right? right. Best man is the one who makes sure the wedding happens. Like in Jewish culture, he would go back, they would have this big party where they would come into the town to get the brides, uh, get the bride to be, put them on their shoulders, and the 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 best man was the one ushering in this beautiful party. His job was to throw the party, make sure the party happened. Even in our culture, really important part. The most important speech is the best man's, right? right. Uh, and and then he's the one who keeps up with the wing, the rings to make sure that the covenant promise has happened, right? right. That's his job. And so what I kind of said was, this is where I think Gideon gets it wrong, is he lost sight of being the best man. This is where I think we get it wrong. We lose sight of being the best man. So mm-hmm. I was explaining in that moment on the wedding, and this is how we'll wrap up, that imagine, and I've, I've had the opportunity to officiate lots of weddings, and everybody knows the best moment in the wedding, right? Uh, then Canon and D or whatever it is, they're playing the music and everybody stands up and everybody kind of shuffles and they look back and they can't wait to see the 
the bride walk in. Right, beautiful right. thing. Which, by the way, this is the beautiful part of a wedding is all the focus is on the bride. All the focus is on the bride, right? So like, mm. that's how much Jesus loves us. He is mm. all of all, like captivated by us. So he, we're the bride. Like he can't wait to make all things mm. right with us. And But in that, you don't just keep an eye on the bride. When the bride comes in, you want to see her first. But you're you're keeping an eye because you want to see the right. groom, right? The bride and the groom. You're watching it, and I joke, you know, we know it's really important. Like, if the groom sheds tears, it's like it's like you know Groundhog's Day. If you know <laughs> if if the you know the groundhog doesn't see a shadow, you're ready for summer or whatever it is. It's like you see that tear, and you're like at least six weeks of a good marriage, right? You got, <laughs> you got that there, and so you see that moment. Everybody loves it, and it's so neat. And I said, imagine, yeah, imagine the audacity of the best man stepping in front of the groom and being like. Hey, girl, I see you, girl. Come on up here, girl. You know He's like, ready. You know, I'm ready. Come on. You don't need him. Look at this. Look at these abs or whatever it is, right? And so you got that story, and you're going, how does the best? How does the groom feel about that? And I, yeah. you know, literally, the groom punches the best man in the face. Like, what else do you do there? And so I think we got to see that picture and got to really – be very cautious that we don't step in front of the groom. Yeah. Don't this it was for God. Oh, and Gideon. And to it for Gideon and maybe God. You know? Yeah. Like you see it in prosperity preaching in churches where that the celebrity status of a man who opens the Bible and preaches mm. it is nuts. Yeah. Right. And every day we gotta stop believing our own press and say, for God's glory. And then for her good, right? right and so right. that's the picture that I think Gideon lost, is he lost sight of it and became the best man who stood in front of the groom, which we all know is yeah. deeply offensive right. and inappropriate. Right. And so we got to see it in that picture of our job is to help the bride, which is us, yeah. get to the groom yeah. by any means possible. That's what Gideon was able to do, and that's what he lost sight of. And yeah. so we're going to see it again this upcoming week. We're going to see someone who can't control his own appetite in Samson. It's going to be a crazy story. I hope I can yeah. compile it all in just a, you know, a, a nice little short. It'll be another crazy an hour one. Sermon. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I do want to remind you, if you have any questions, please feel free to submit that. If you're here on a weekend, you can just fill out the back of a bulletin, put it in the offering plates on your way out, or email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. Uh, we pretty much took up the full hour today. We're hoping that that benefited you and that you um, join us next week as we continue this. If you have any questions, let us know. We hope to see you around. Hope to see you at Cow. And yeah, have a great week. Yep. Have a great week. See you soon. Bye.